Okay. That's a brilliant passage, isn't it? It's, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I suspect it's a favorite for many people. Um, it's just such an encouraging thing. And I think at a time like this, we need to read these passages and be encouraged by that. Because there is a fear going around in this world right now. There are a lot of people who are worried about the future. There's a lot of people who are worried about catching this new virus and potentially dying. Uh, there's a lot of people who are suffering because of this virus. And today we're talking about suffering, not just about the coronavirus kind of suffering and, and you know, losing jobs and dying and, and getting seriously ill, but suffering in general. And I want to stress today that, that us Christians are not immune to suffering. We are likely at some point to suffer just for being Christians. But we also share in the common suffering of this world. We, we share in, in the time when there is war, when there is famine, when there is drought, when there is flood, when there is disease. All of us struggle. This virus is going to have a huge impact on our society and on our world. But if you think about it, why are people fighting over toilet paper? Because they're scared. It's because... This virus has brought home to us in, in a way that, that just hasn't happened in, in, in our lifetimes, how frail our life really is. And it brings home to us our isolation. Uh, it brings home to us just how alone we really are. Christians suffer. Uh, we suffer both persecution and other kinds of suffering with everyone else. But I want to suggest that as Christians, we can suffer differently that our lives in Christ are not fragile and that we are never really alone and, and that our response to our suffering can actually be a good thing, can be a beacon of hope and point people to Jesus in this world. This passage that we read is set in the context of, of Jesus's suffering, but it finishes with that beautiful, confident assertion that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul starts right at the beginning in verse 18 and says that nothing, our suffering, none of it is worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. We will suffer in this world, but suffering isn't the sum of the equation. It might seem like it at the time. It might seem like it fills every horizon. But there is a bigger story playing out. Paul wants to remind us that the day is coming when we will be glorified, when God's glory will be revealed in us. Suffering is present. It's present tense. It's what we experience now. That glory, that final glory is future tense, but it's a future that is certain. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 uh, tells us that, that our glory is being kept for us in heaven right now. It is a present reality that we are waiting for. And it will be revealed in the last times when Jesus returns. One day, very soon, we will be transformed into the image of Christ. We will reflect God's character without stain or shadow. Don't get me wrong. When we suffer, it's huge and it hurts and it's horrible. We suffer in this broken world because it's a broken world. Because the place is not as it should be. But the glory to be revealed to us, the glory to be revealed in us, says Paul, is huger. It's, it's greater by far. It's, it's like uh, our suffering is like a spotlight 
but the glory to be revealed to us is like the bright noonday sun. Verse 19, uh, Paul says to us that creation itself is eagerly awaiting God's children being revealed. It's waiting that time when God sets everything right, including us, and, and first and foremostly us, humanity. It's waiting that time, creation, when we will see God face to face, when we will be transformed to be like Jesus, when sin and human death, uh, which have already been dealt with at the cross, are finally put down and undone. On that day, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to corruption. And there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more hurt. Right now, our world is focused on the present danger. But creation, says Paul in verses 20 through to 27, creation knows that there is better to come and it is eagerly waiting for it, longing for it, hoping for the day of our revelation in God's glory. Creation groans in anticipation of that day. And so do Christians groan. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan because we have hope. We groan because we are waiting for the day when all that is wrong is set right by God. We wait patiently, verse 25, trusting that God is good and true to his word and will bring us to be. We wait for the day when sin is dealt with when even our own sinful selves are undone, when we are made new and all that is wrong with this world is made right. And until that day, our prayer should be one of Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, because when Jesus comes, it will be as it should be. Creation groans. Christians groan. And says Paul in verse 26 and 27, the Spirit of God himself groans. I mean, we don't often think about it, but God is in anguish over the state of this world. God is in anguish when his people are persecuted. I believe God is in anguish when he sees people suffering. God groans. He is just and he knows what he's doing, but he is groaning. Patient, giving people a chance to turn towards him but I don't think we can say that God is unmoved by the suffering of this world. He even groans for us when we don't know what to pray. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where, where you just, just know that, ah, what, what do I say, God? Now, our world right now is full of people who are groaning under an incredible weight, who are suffering, who are worried about, whether they'll be able to eat tomorrow, who are worried perhaps whether they will be alive tomorrow. Always been the case that our world is full of people who are groaning. It's going to be the case until the time when Jesus returns. But, but there is a key difference between the groaning of this world and the groaning of us as Christians. It's the people without Christ groan hopelessly. They groan out of despair as their support structures are ripped out from underneath them. Their job, their health, their friends, their family. They're worried about all these things. They're worried about dying. Christians groan with hope. 
because our support doesn't come from this world. Our ultimate support, the ground on which we can base our lives, is Christ. We have the future. We know that there is a future beyond all of this. We know that God our Father is with us. We know that Jesus, God become man, understands our every weakness. The Spirit of God has given us a taste of that future, and we long for it. We just want things to be better. Our groaning shouldn't be one of despair. I think that's one of the things Paul is trying to say to us. We should be groaning, but out of eager anticipation. Not to make less of the current situation, because it's big, but to make more of God's future, because it is bigger and better by far. The terrible things that happen, be they persecution, be they any other suffering, including what our world is going through at the moment, all of these things, verse 28, God can use to work good for those who love him, for those called according to his purpose. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is a good. This is not a good thing. But God can use it for your good and for my good. You know, perhaps... This crisis can be a wake-up call to the church, to us. We have to, well, we have been forced to rethink who we are, how we meet. We've been forced to, to think again whether church is, is just something we do on a Sunday morning. I think God is maybe reminding us that church is us. Church is the people of God, that we can be church by calling each other up, by encouraging each other, by writing emails or letters to each other, by praying with each other. That is the church as we come together to celebrate God. Maybe this is a wake-up call for us. Maybe this is a reminder to you and I that we are not in control of this world, that we are actually powerless and that it is God who is ultimately in control. Maybe it's a reminder to us that we must rely on God for everything. Maybe this, this bad situation that our world is in, maybe this is a chance for us to speak hope into the lives of others. Maybe a chance to show God's love to our friends and our neighbors and our family. Maybe it's a chance for us to ask where we've placed our trust. Maybe it's a chance for us to reassess and turn to rely on God once more. Maybe this is a chance for us to focus again and say, who am I as a child of God? Am I trusting him? How can I trust my father? Anna Marie, uh, in, with her work with the uh, Progress Association, is putting out a leaflet. And on that leaflet, there's a little uh, a flyer which has got your name and says, you know, if you're stuck, I can help you with this and this and this. Um, uh, Grab that one. Uh, I'll ask Anna-Marie if we can take a copy of that and distribute it to you so that you can give that to your neighbors where you are. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every single person in our church was able to say to somebody else, I want to be there for you. And right on the back, you know what, I'm praying for you. Or is there anything that I can pray for you? Is there any way that I can show you God's love? Maybe this is a wake-up call for us to say, are we actually loving our community the way that God loves us? Because this is going to be a wake-up call for the world. This has challenged everyone's assumptions that life is easy, 
This is challenging our community. And God has said that we are the ones who are to bring hope into this world. Yes, to groan with our neighbors and our family and our Yes, to admit that we are worried. But to be able to stand up and say, nevertheless, I trust that my God is good and that he's for me and that he's for me. Have a listen to what Paul says. What shall we say about such things, such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he didn't spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anyone ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are being killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, there are many of those, nor our worries about tomorrow, there are many of those. None of this, not even the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing at all in all of creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you're good to us, that you care for us. Lord, thank you that you are our God and King. Thank you that you are our Lord. Lord, we own that we get, we get afraid. Lord, the worries of this world, be they coronavirus related or general sickness related or persecution for being a Christian or anything, God. We admit that these things can take center stage in our lives and in our minds and we focus in on them, God, and we forget the bigger picture. Lord, we want to, we want to groan with hope. We want to be people who can face today because of tomorrow, who can face today because you live. Lord Jesus, thank you for the fact that you live, that you are our God, that you are our King, that you are our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just want to offer ourselves to you and say, please remind us of who we are in you. Help us to be that to our family and to our friends and to our neighbors. Courage our hearts, Lord. Bless us, I pray. Thank you, Father. Amen.